lovely to be with you tonight. Thank you to the pastor for the warm words of welcome. And it's lovely to see so many here on a Monday evening. We want to thank the men for their ministry uh, this evening. Let's turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, please, if you have a Bible with you. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, and we're going to read at verse number 16. And let's have no distractions if possible now as we turn to the scriptures. And can I thank you, dear folks here who pray for us as we travel the country. It's a busy year with 11 missions this year. We've finished eight, another three to do. And we thank the Lord. It's been a great year. Many precious souls have come to the Savior. And maybe for somebody here tonight, this is going to be your night. You know the Lord is working in your heart. You know the battle's going on. You know you need to be saved. Well, I pray that this will be your meeting when you don't put it off any longer. That you put your trust in the Lord. I was preaching on Saturday night in Ballysillen for the Belfast City Mission. At a harvest service there in North Belfast. And a man at the door, he says to me, you were talking to me tonight. You were talking all about my life. I need to get saved. And I said, well, don't be putting it off. If the Lord's speaking to your heart, get saved tonight. But you know, sadly, he left the meeting. Still not saved. And just as the men were singing that lovely old hymn there, to turn to the Savior while he's striving and while he's speaking. And that's not what the Lord said in Genesis 6 and the verse 3, that my spirit shall not always strive with man. So tonight if the battle's on in your heart and you know that you need to get right with the Lord, this is your meeting, this is your night. Because the Lord is here. To save your precious soul. And he gave us that promise, didn't he? With the two or three are gathered together in my name. He says, I will be in the midst. And he's here to save your soul. Maybe you've drifted. Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe you made a profession years ago, but you're not living for the Lord tonight. To pray that you'll come home. And even for us who are saved, that will leave this meeting fired up to serve our generation and to serve the Lord with everything that we have. It's also nice to see friends from this McCarroll Mission Hall as well. And thank you, whatever church you belong to, your Mission Hall, thank you for coming this evening. Look at verse 16 of the chapter. We're told here, And he spake a parable unto them, that's the Lord Jesus, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, this will I do, I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, so thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So was he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We'll stop there at verse 21. Keep your Bibles open tonight. Follow me in the gospel message. And may the Lord as always add a blessing to the reading and preaching of his precious word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these lovely hymns and choruses that we have been singing. We thank you for the men and for their ministry. And we pray that you would bless them as they travel from place to place. But Lord, now as we bring our service to a close and we center our thoughts around your word, I pray that you'll just settle their hearts, take away all distractions, and I pray that the Spirit of God might move in this place tonight. 
Lord, I pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit and give me that power and give me that liberty I need to, to make the message real. And, O oh God, we'll be so careful to give you all of the glory. In your name we ask it. Amen. Folks, by way of introduction tonight, I wonder, has anyone heard of a man called Sir James Bryson? Probably not. Sir James Bryson is currently the richest farmer in the United Kingdom. And he is apparently worth £16.2 billion. He owns 35,000 acres of land in England. And he also owns Dyson Electrical Products. I was reading about him. He's a man of great wealth, great riches and great possessions. And then it got me thinking today, I wonder who the richest farmer is in new buildings. Hands up all the rich farmers in the meeting tonight. Hands up all the poor farmers. I was in Balamina a while ago and I said, hands up all the rich farmers. And there wasn't one in Balamina either. But somebody said, if the farmers fall asleep in the meeting, you just shout Grant and all the farmers waking up as soon as they hear the word Grant. But the Savior reminds us, doesn't he? For what shall it profit a man? If he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And I think we would all agree tonight that we're living in a day and generation when many people are judged by the possessions that they have. And we can all be guilty of that. We can all judge people based on the size of their house. Or the type of car that they drive. Or the type of job that they have. Or the area that they live in. We, we all love to put people in a box. But look at verse 15 of our chapter. Do you see it in your Bible? The Lord Jesus says something different. He says, take heed, verse 15, and beware of covetousness. Notice, for a man's life, now look at the phrase, a man's life consists not, he says, in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Friends, some of the best Christian people I know, as I travel our province, they have little materially. And the Bible clearly teaches that a wealthy man is someone who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I trust in this church tonight that every man, every woman, every young person, every boy, every girl in this church has accepted Jesus Christ as their own and personal Savior. That you could come up even for five minutes and tell us how you met the Lord and how your life has been changed. This is what the Word of God teaches. A wealthy man is someone who has been forgiven who is at the center of God's will for their lives, who is serving the Lord and is devoted to the work of God. I trust tonight the Lord has got every part of me. I trust that the Lord has got every part of you and that we're not just going through the motions of our Christianity. Christianity is not a hobby, but we're living in a day and generation for so many it seems to be. You see people at church maybe one week, you don't see them for another six weeks. It seems to be today you don't see Christians at the prayer meeting. It just seems to be the faithful few. I trust you're at the prayer meeting here in this church or whatever church you belong to, praying for revival, praying for your family, praying for the work of the church. We need a move of God in our day and generation. And Belfaster's church is closing down. Belfaster's mission hall's closing down. And we need to pray as God's people like never before that the Lord would move in this nation. Can I also say that there's nothing wrong with having money, but when money becomes our God, that is the problem. 
In the Bible, we read about a number of rich men. Abraham, Job, Solomon, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea. They were all rich. But even, you know, the story of the rich young ruler in Mark 10. Wasn't it his love of money? His love of possessions that held him back? It was just one thing. Jesus said, one thing thou lackest. And he went away sorrowful. Because of his love of riches, his love of possessions. And it's an amazing folks that the Lord didn't run after him. The Lord told him what he had to do, but he didn't run after him. And that's a lesson for gospel preachers. We preach the gospel with fire in our bellies and simply and clearly, and that's all that we can do. And then individuals have a choice to make. And tonight you have another choice to make if you're not saved in the meeting, if you're not a Christian. You either accept the Lord or you will reject him. So here we go, three quick, simple thoughts from the story. I want to consider, first of all, the successful farmer. And for a few minutes, I want to paint the picture of this man. Look at verse 16 of the chapter. Do you see it? And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. So you can see this man, this rich farmer who brought in a great harvest. And farming isn't an easy job. And at this harvest season, it's important that we give God thanks for our farmers. I do quite a lot of gospel missions in rural areas and I mix with farmers and I talk to farmers and I know that they work hard. And I'm sure there's farmers here today. They're up early in the morning. They get cold. They get wet. They're often not appreciated. It can be a difficult job. They get tired. And people from the city where I live, they don't really appreciate farmers. And I was reading an article recently on the five top qualities to be a successful farmer. And this man must have had these qualities. Here was number one on that list, to be a good farmer. It says you need to have patience. Secondly, you need to understand the weather. Thirdly, you need to work hard. Fourthly, you need to respect your animals. And fifthly, you need to be good with numbers. So this man must have had these qualities. And God has entrusted farmers to look after his creation. And I often think about farmers when they're out in the countryside so much. Do they ever think about creation? Did they ever think about the wildlife? Did they ever think about the animals? And where did it all come from? So many today just tell you that they're atheists. They don't believe in God. They just believe that there was a big bang and from that big bang came everything. I remember a lady telling me a few years ago that she used to be an atheist and she became a Christian. And I said, what was it that changed your mind? She says, when I gave birth to my first child, And I held that little boy in my hands and I looked at its wee cheeks and its eyes and its wee ears. And I looked at how it was was made, how, how it was designed. And she says, I just thought there must be a God. And she started researching different religions. She got to Christianity. She studied it for two years and she became a Christian. When she held that wee baby boy of hers in her hands, she said, there must, there must be a God. Let's remember to thank the Lord for everything that he has done for us. He's been good to many of us, hasn't he? He's given us food. He's given us a good home, many of us, a good family, a good car, a good education. Most of us go back to a nice home tonight in a warm bed. God has blessed many of us time and time and time again. And perhaps as you look back at your life, God has blessed you over and over and over again. Friend, are you serving him tonight? Do you really love him? The hymn writer said, count your blessings. 
Name them one by one and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And I remember as a new Christian going to Ethiopia in 2008 and I was just amazed in, in Ethiopia how thankful those people were. They didn't have the things that we had but they thanked the Lord for everything that they had. And I just looked at them and I thought, John, you need to be a lot more thankful for the things that you have. And the Bible says, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In relation to this man, we we don't know if he had a family or if he was married or where he lived or if he had any religious background, but he was successful. He was a hard worker. And read the chapter, there's no mention that he was deceitful. There's no mention he was dishonest, he was dodging his taxes, he was deep in sin. I was thinking, I would imagine this man was probably well respected in the countryside. And most farmers are well respected in the countryside. But a lot of them don't have God's salvation. And sometimes they're the hardest people to reach. Self-righteous, upright people. They say, I don't do anybody any harm. But they don't realize that they're sinners that need to be saved. But when I go into the bingo halls in Belfast and the bars and the the dens of iniquity, they know they're sinners. They're nearly sometimes easier reached. But the self-righteous people, even the church-going person who sits through meeting after meeting, but still not saved. They hear the gospel preached faithfully every week, but they leave meetings. People brought up in good Christian homes, is that you? You have a godly mother, you have a godly father, you've been brought up through the Sunday school, you've been brought up through the church, and you've got it all in your head, but you still haven't got it in your heart. As one preacher said, that's the greatest journey in life, from your head to your heart. There's people in our province who've got it all up here, but they haven't got it in here. And then you get some poor soul, maybe never heard the gospel before, and they walk in the missions and they respond. That was me. Never in Sunday school growing up, sadly, never had a Bible in our home. My parents were godless. But the very first night at 19 years of age, just hearing the gospel, my heart was touched. And I fell in love with Jesus Christ. And I love him tonight with all of my heart. And then God saved my mom and my dad and my sister and my two aunts. An entire family transformed by the gospel. This is why it burns within my heart tonight. Because the Lord can do great things when you call upon his name for salvation. And I did a mission there during COVID down in Randallstown with George Bates. And there was a wee family came, all from a background that they had never heard the gospel before. And they all got saved. And they're all doing well. And some of them have been baptized. And they're pressing on with the Lord. But here's the point. The, the people of Randallstown didn't show much interest because it was all too familiar. They'd been brought up in it. Heard it for years. And then there's that wee family come in. And now they're rejoicing in their salvation. This man took all the glory for himself. Do you notice the personal pronouns in verses 17 and 18? Look at it in your Bible. And he thought within himself, verse 17, saying, here's the personal pronouns, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. Look at verse 18. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. Folks, he never gives the Lord the glory. That was his problem. It was all about him. And no doubt he was the talk of the countryside as he was bringing in this great harvest. And I've noticed that people can be a wee bit nosy. Do you ever notice that? When we were growing up in the wee streets of Belfast, if there was trouble in our area, everybody was out walking their dog. (laughs) Is it like that round here? 
If the ambulance was in our street or the police was in our street, everybody was out walking their dog. And maybe it's the same in this part of the world. But even in the countryside, people notice certain things. If you get a new car or something like that, that's the talk of the district. And I'm sure this man was the talk of the countryside. They were all talking about his harvest, all talking about his barns. I wonder how big these barns are going to be. Listen, this farmer had made it in the world's eyes. Money and possessions was his God, wasn't it? What do you really live for today? Do you really live for the Lord? Or maybe you're driven by money, the love of money. Maybe you're driven by climbing the social ladder, impressing the neighbors. Maybe for you it's your farm. I speak to a lot of farmers and they boast in how many cows they're milking. Do you know anybody like that around this part of the world? remember doing a mission a few years ago and I spoke to a man and he was milking 300 cows. I says, will you come to the mission? He says, I'm too busy. I said, sir, that's your problem. You're too busy. I said, what about your soul? Where are you going to be in eternity? He says, oh, the wife's at me all the time. I says, isn't it great that your wife cares about your soul and is praying for you to be saved? Maybe you have a praying wife tonight. What a privilege. Maybe you have a praying husband tonight. What a privilege. Maybe your son's praying for your soul, your daughter's praying for your soul. There was that man milking 300 cows and he was too busy to come to a gospel mission one night over two weeks because he was too busy. The Bible tells us, or one commentator tells us, this is interesting, that there's 500 verses in our Bible about prayer. Write this down if you're taking notes. This is interesting for the Bible students among us. In our Bibles, there's 500 verses in prayer, there's 500 verses in faith, and there's over 2,000 verses in our Bible in relation to money. And the Bible talks about the love of money as the root of all evil. William Tiptaff was an old Baptist preacher, and he said a good quote about money. Listen to this. If rich people only knew when they died how their relations would scramble for their money, they would not be so anxious to save money. And that's the truth. But do you remember in Mark 12, that wee lady with the two mates? The Lord said she's put in more than everybody else. He saw what she gave. And I even think of John the Baptist that was out in the wilderness. At locusts and wild honey. Oh, but John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. And they flocked out to the wilderness to hear John the Baptist because he was in touch with God. Oh, I love to be around people that are in touch with God. There's a wee lady I go to visit in Newton Abbey. And you know, folks, the world wouldn't look at her. But you see, in my eyes, she's a giant. You call her Jean McCreate. And before I leave, I say, Jean, we're going to read the scriptures and we're going to get on our knees together and we're going to pray together. And you know, folks, you see when that wee lady prays, oh, you can see, you think the Lord's standing right in that room. You know anybody like that? The world wouldn't look at her. The world would see her as a wee bit odd. And sometimes as Christians we are a wee bit odd. But you see that wee lady, on my eyes, oh, she's a giant. The best funeral I ever took, there was only five people at it. A wee lady from Crumlin County, Andrew, she stayed in the background. She supported missionaries, she supported single mothers, you name it. She says, John, if anything happens to me, I want you to do my service. And she only wanted her family at it. And I used to say, Elizabeth, if I'm anywhere near you around the throne, I'll be so pleased. But here's the point. She stayed in the background. She wasn't interested in money. She wasn't interested in making a name for herself. She stayed in the background and she did what she could. 
You see those type of people? My eyes are chance. When I go to visit all different homes and even in some Christian homes that try to impress you with the type of car that they have and the many holidays that go on a year and the, the cruises that go on, that doesn't impress me. Does that impress you? What impresses me that a man or a woman has a walk with the Lord? They're rich in my eyes. And they're rich in the Lord's eyes. What about you? Have you a walk with the Lord? Your testimony. Can people look at you and say, you see that man, he's a proper Christian. See that wee lady, proper Christian. See that young person, see that young man, he's different. In the university, in the college, he's different. The successful farmer very quickly notices sinful folly. What was this man's folly? Listen, he thought he had plenty of time. That was his problem. And Northern Ireland's full of people who think they've plenty of time, just like that man in Ballyselling on Saturday night. Does anybody remember the Reverend Sam Workman? The Reverend Sam Workman saw many precious souls come to the Lord in his ministry. And I was listening to a CD of him preaching recently, and do you know what his sermon title was? What a sermon title. I wrote it down. The devil's favorite word is tomorrow. You get that? The devil's favorite word is tomorrow. Look at verse 19. This rich man states, do you see it? He says, and I will say to my soul, so thou hast much goods laid up for many years. He thought he was going to live for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And there's many like him. Take it easy. He wanted to enjoy his eating, his drinking, and he wanted to enjoy his sinful living. But here's the amazing thing, friends. Listen, that night he was out in eternity. And God forbid there could be somebody here at this harvest meeting and you could be next. You could be out in eternity. John, have you seen that happen? Absolutely. I think of doing a mission last year and a man attended that mission. The Friday night he felt unwell. Saturday night he died and I buried him on the Tuesday. A man at 50 years of age. He was the last person you'd have thought would have took a massive heart attack. The last person, big, strong farmer. But there he's out in eternity. No wonder the Bible says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, and call upon him while he is near. Folks, none of us know, listen, none of us knows what age we're going to live to. What age was Elvis Presley when he died? 42 years of age. What age was Princess Diana? 36. What age was Patsy Klein? 30 years of age. Bruce Lee, 32. Marilyn Monroe, 36. Martin Luther King, 39 years of age. Not amazing. And listen, not every Christian gets a long life either. What age was Robert Murray McShane when he died, the great Scottish preacher? 29 years of age. What age was Jim Elliot, the great missionary? 28. What age was William Wydenborn who wanted to reach the Muslims of northwest China, but he never got the opportunity to do it? 26. What age was David Brainard? 29. Philip Bliss, the great hymn writer that wrote that hymn, Man of Sorrows, what a name? 38. What age was John Harper? 40 years of age. Who was John Harper, you might say? 
He was on the Titanic the night it sank. He was going to preach for D.L. Moody. His wife had just died. He gave up his life jacket and he went into the water. His souls were perishing, grabbing them and saying, Is your soul saved? Is your soul saved? Is your soul saved? A man that had a passion for souls. And at 40 years of age, he died in the water. The true hero of the Titanic. I was thinking, if I was invited to preach for D.L. Moody, what? Would I have given up my life, Jacket? Would I have went into the water? Would I have given up my life? What an opportunity of a lifetime to go and preach for Moody. But that was John Harper. Because he had a passion for the lost. Oh, again, those of us that are saved tonight, may we get a passion for souls like we have never had before. Been spending some time recently with Dr. Bill Woods. Has anybody heard of Dr. Bill Woods? Missionary in the Amazon jungle for near 60 years. He swam up rivers to reach souls. Man with a burden. Left school with no qualifications. Went to the Amazon jungle to reach souls with the gospel. Man that had a burden. Where's the men like Bill Woods in our nation today? Where's the women like Maud Kells and individuals like that? W.P. Nicholson, Amy Carmichael, these individuals that laid everything on the altar for the Savior. Is there a young man in here tonight and the call of God is on your life? Would you surrender your life to the Lord tonight and say, Lord, here's my life, it's yours. I will do anything you want me to do. Is there a young woman here tonight who will say like Maud Kells, if you want me to go to the mission field and serve you, Lord, I'll go. My life's yours. Or maybe you want to be rich in the world's eyes and make it all in the world's eyes. But friend, when you come to the end, you'll maybe look back at your life and say, oh, I wasted it. You're saved all right. But you could have done an awful lot more. There's only one life that'll soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And very soon we're going to stand before the king. Do you ever think about that day? The Bible teaches we're going to the judgment seat of Christ if we're saved. Our sins will be forgiven, but we'll give an account of our Christian ministries and lives. Then the Bible clearly teaches if you're not saved, you will go to the great white throne judgment, Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. And verse 15 has to be one of the saddest verses in our Bibles, doesn't it? And whosoever's name was not written in the book of life, listen, was cast into the lake of fire. Can you picture that? Can you picture you stand before the Lord at the great white throne judgment and your name is not in the book of life? Wouldn't it be awful? And you're cast, the Bible says, into the lake of fire. What's it going to be like for men and women? And they're cast into the lake of fire. I was at a wedding recently in the Kelly Heaven Hotel and we were queuing up to get our dinner. And do you know the way you go in and you look at all the boards to see your name, to see what table you have to sit at? And I was hungry and I started to panic because I couldn't see my name on the board. Have you ever had that experience? And because I'm W, my name was away in the corner. And eventually, I knew the table I had to sit at. But listen, friend. It was an awful feeling when I couldn't find my name on that board. Have you ever had that experience? And I looked and looked and I couldn't see it anywhere. And then as I sat down to eat my dinner, I started to think, what's it going to be like for those names that are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life? 
The books are opened. The book of life is opened and your name's not there. Friend, this is why you're here tonight. To make sure you know your name's in the Lamb's book of life. You've seen another harvest. God has been good. There's people that were here last year. They're not here now. They're out in eternity. And if we're spurred another harvest next year, I I mightn't be here. You mightn't be here. But it's lovely when you're saved, you know that you're absent from the body. You're present with the Lord. And this man believed he had a soul in verse 19. A lot of people just think you die and that's the end of you. Like a man said to me in Carrick Fergus one year, he says, son, I'm going into the ground and that will be the end of me. I'm not coming to your mission. No interest. And see, after that mission finished, he did die. And he did go into the ground. And that was the end of him. So he thought. But he will stand, if he never got saved, at the great white throne judgment. As we finish, you've listened wonderfully. The successful farmer, his sinful folly, and then his solemn future. Look at verse 20 as we close. There's nine o'clock. But God said unto him, notice, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Folks, do you see it in verse 20? God calls this man a fool. Why? Because he had made no preparation for eternity. And I was speaking to a lady not that long ago and she's 70 years of age. And she's getting her will sorted. And she's getting her funeral sorted. She's making preparations for when she goes. But I said to her, now what about your soul when you stand before the Lord? What's it going to be? I know what you said. I'm thinking about it. I give her one of my little tracks, being time. Some with me tonight. She says, I'm thinking about it. I say as well, don't think about it too long. Make sure you make it in time. And then I was thinking about this today as I finish. I wonder what was said at his funeral. Can you see the minister getting up? I'm sure the place was packed. Because he was the talk of the countryside. And I'm sure the minister said, oh, he was a great farmer. He was a great worker. He was a great family man. He had so many plans. I'm sure it was a great funeral. I'm sure there was a great banquet. But listen, in God's eyes, he was a fool. Because he had made no preparation. If he was here tonight and we brought him up for the closing hymn, I wonder what he would say. Can you see him here? Think about him. He's been in hell now over 2,000 years. He's lost. And if we brought him up and we said, would you give us the closing hymn? I wonder what he would say. I'll tell you. He would say to us all, be in time. Be in time. While the voice of Jesus called you, he would say, say, be in time. He would say, I missed it. But you're still getting another opportunity. It's the day of grace. We're still in the days of grace. And Jesus is passing this way. Can't we sense his presence in this meeting tonight? Every eye's on me. You'd hear a pin drop in this meeting because the Lord is here and he's speaking to hearts. And there's someone in this meeting, I believe, and you know that this is your night to get right with the Lord. And I'll tell you what you get put on his headstone. Do you ever go to the cemeteries and read the headstones? You get put Jeremiah 8 and 20 on his headstone. The harvest has passed. The summer has ended. And we are not saved. That's what you could put on this man's headstone. And he's a lost soul. 
All I can say tonight is not great to be a Christian. It's not great to be able to put your head on the pillow and know it's well with your soul. And it's great to know that you're ready for heaven. And I would say that everybody in this gathering tonight wants to be in heaven. But friends, Jesus Christ is the only way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I pray that you'll come. Because he hung and he bled and he died on that middle cross so you could be saved. Picture him just now as we close on the middle cross. Can you see him? Look at him. Beaten. Mocked. Humiliated. Isaiah tells us that he was marred more than any man. And he did it all so we could be forgiven of our sins. And the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I trust that when your time comes and he ever conducts your service, it'll not be what I went through on Friday afternoon at Roselawn Crematorium, having to get up for 15, 20 minutes, and you have nothing to say about the man in the coffin. It's the most difficult thing to do in the ministry. It was awful. Grieving family and you have nothing to say. A man that lived his life, no thought of the Lord. And had nobody to do the funeral. And you have to do it to please the family. I trust. When you go, people will say, that man left behind a testimony. He was saved. He was a proper Christian. He loved the Lord and he did what he could. And the Lord will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. And he'll not say to anybody here, depart from me. I never knew you. The rich farmer who thought that he had plenty of time. Thank you for listening. Hard to close tonight. Believe the Lord is working in hearts. And I'm going to leave a moment's quietness just for you as you sit where you are tonight. If you know you need to be saved to respond to the message. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Or if there's somebody here and you have drifted and you know you need to get back to serving the Lord with all of your heart, tell the Lord that's your heart's desire. And if you are saved tonight, you know the Lord is more for you. Why not from tonight say, Lord, I'm not going to be in the comfort zone any longer. Say like Hudson Taylor, I have one candle of life to burn and I want to burn out for you. Let's pray.